another episode of Saturday, Saturday the 14th. 14th. Maybe your favorite horror podcast. Maybe your third favorite horror podcast. We don't want to overstep our bounds, but it should be top five. We hope you at least enjoy listening to us. Honestly, why are you listening if it's not top five? Just kidding. If you're new to the podcast, please keep listening. We'll be nicer to you in the future, I promise. So while you wait and listen for us to be nicer human beings. Not going to happen. Probably so just not. a heads up on that one. Um, we will go ahead and discuss this week's movie. Which is... The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yes, it is, motherfuckers. I suppose I could have said that with more pizzazz, but honestly... The Texas Chainsaw Massacre! I'm not sure it deserves that much hype, honestly. Well, see, here's the thing. I will be honest. We're definitely watching this movie through a 2018 lens. And horror has gotten more interesting since 1974. Okay, but isn't this the same year that The Exorcist came out? Because... I can honestly say I was not bored by watching The Exorcist. True, but they're also in two completely different subgenres. But they're still both horror, and one is interesting and one's just not. True, but also, I think we can't really ignore the branch of horror fans who truly just love to see gratuitous violence. That's a huge part of horror. I love gratuitous violence. Can you please point out to me where in this movie there is gratuitous violence? That is the thing. There's not a lot of blood in this movie. There really isn't. I will say for the second movie, they got our friend of the podcast. That's not true. He's never listened to this podcast, but we love him. Tom Savini. Oh, good. To do all of the special effects because they realized the first one was a little bloodless. The first one had almost zero special effects. It doesn't have a lot, but what it does have is the ultimate prototypical slasher figure. Leatherface. It does have Leatherface, who is the big daddy of the horror slasher villain. He is. I mean, he is like 6'4", 300 pounds. Yeah. The guy wore lifts in his shoes. Like, um, Gunnar Hansen wore lifts in his oh, shoes. Oh, wow. So he's even taller. But, yeah. So he was actually like 6'3 and 280 when he got this role. So like, with those lifts, I think there were three inch lifts. So he's like 6'6", huge guy with a fucking chainsaw. Like... He's kind of the ultimate precursor to your Jasons, your Michael Myerses. Uh, I don't know about Freddy Krueger, because Freddy Krueger's a little too talky. Yeah, very, very different than Freddy Krueger, but do you think that Freddy Krueger would have come along if not for the help of Leatherface? Um... No, I mean, I don't think that Freddy Krueger would have been born without the established concept of the unkillable uh, slasher hero villain. I mean, this isn't even necessarily that he's unkillable, because no one ever even tries to kill him. Um, well, somebody does hit him in the head with an... Wait, Freddy Krueger or Leatherface? Leatherface. Somebody hits him with a wrench, and he does accidentally chainsaw his own leg a little bit there at the end. Yeah. It doesn't seem to have much of an effect on him. He's up and dancing around at the end. To be fair, he barely chainsawed his own leg. I feel like I could chainsaw my own leg to that extent and be fine. So you think that, but there's a lot of veins in your leg that are really important. But right on the top above the knee? No, it's on the inside. It's in the thigh. Exactly, and he did his right on top. But he still wouldn't be able to get up and walk around. I've seen a lot of movies where people have gotten up and walked around after cutting their legs. Have you seen a lot of movies where people get head injuries and black out and then get back up and save the world afterwards? Yes, I have. I think you might be underestimating the damage the movies. <laughs> That's quite possible. The damage that injuries actually do. Yeah. All right. So enough about things we will get into later because trust me, we have a lot to talk about when it comes to Texas Chainsaw Massacre's overall influence on the genre, which is unignorable. Just a lot of opinions overall. Let's get into 
that fact. That sounds great. So this is a movie uh, that was made in 1974. It was written by Toby Hooper and Kim Henkel and directed by Toby Hooper. It stars Marilyn Burns, Paul A. Partain, Edwin Neal, Jim Sidow, and Gunnar Hansen. Gunnar Hansen is, of course, the uninimitable Leatherface. Yeah. I love that they actually call him Leatherface in the movie. Yeah. That was interesting. That's a fun nickname for a person to have. Especially, like, given to him by his family. A frightening nickname. Like, the best my family's ever come up with is, like, Mads. My family calls me Magpie, which is endearing and nowhere near as metal as Leatherface. I feel like any family who calls another family member Leatherface is... Kind of insulting. Like, if I was called Leatherface, I'd know it's just because I'm not moisturizing enough. Yes, or maybe that you are wearing the severed face of another human over your own face. Maybe I'm not moisturizing that face enough, and that's why it looks leathery. You really do have to moisturize the second face. Otherwise, it gets leathery and you get called Leatherface. True. He seems fine with it, I will say that. He doesn't seem to have a problem with it, but he also, like... After they call him Leatherface, he puts a lot of makeup on over the mask. That's true. So maybe he's feeling really self-conscious. Although I will... One of the theories... Or one of the things that I read pointed out that he seems to be wearing a different face in every scene. So there's oh, a potential really? that that makeup may have already been on that face in some way. Oh, shit. Yeah. That's very interesting. We'll also get more into why he wears that face in that scene. Yes. A little later on. But for right now, let's talk budget. So we talk a lot about a minimalist horror budget that really turns it around. And I think this is another one that's a super strong example of that. Not as strong as Blair Witch Project. No. But that was still, exceptional. still, I mean, you can tell this is kind of low budget. It was shot in $140,000 and ended up making... $30.9 million. So $140,000 in 1974 comes out to about $700,000 uh, today. So it's still, it's a more significant sum of money, but it's still under a million dollars. But at the same time, is that $30.9 million that it made in the box office adjusted for inflation? I don't know. Because if that's not... I don't think that it is. I don't think it is either. And so it did. It was made for 140000 It turned a crazy profit. It did. Which you can kind of see. I mean, like, this movie is entertaining, but, like, it's easy to do on a small budget. I mean, at the same time, it's literally making money every year that something like Universal hosts Halloween Horror Nights and has Leatherface chasing me through a maze. Exactly. Exactly. It's an endless... Again, he's iconic. It's an endless source of income for the studio. It's brilliant. It's wonderful. That, I mean, if you think about it, even the remakes make the original a little bit extra money because you can pay licensing fees and all that jazz. Exactly. All right. So do you want to get into the plot here? I would love to. So the movie starts off with a whole group of friends hanging out in a van. And we got Sally and her brother, Franklin, who's in a wheelchair, who is also one of the most annoying people. He is so fucking annoying. It, it, it sucks because it feels like the filmmakers were trying to make the fact that he's in a wheelchair annoying in addition to his personality and just like yeah. everything about his existence is supposed to be annoying from the fact they have to push him everywhere and he's also just kind of like very whiny the entire movie. Which honestly at the beginning I was like oh cool like they have a guy like in a wheelchair as part of the cast of this movie like you don't really see that that often especially in the 70s but then he turns out super unlikable. Yeah. So. And it I kind of wish that he was a more likable character. Yeah, but he's not. But they're all on their way to visit the grave of um, Sally and Franklin's grandfather and to check out reports of vandalism and grave robbing along the way. Right, because we open with this really amazing scene, which is just, it's dark, and you hear, like, 
sounds of someone performing physical labor. And then when actual images start coming up on the screen, you see like a dead body basically being unearthed. We hear a news report talking about the fact that there have been these bodies that have been found and how some of them missing specific parts. It actually gets very, very detailed to the extent that it talks about how... And the report talks about a man who had had his genitals cut off. And then we see, like, this really gruesome image of, like, these two dead bodies that have been on Earth on, like, this, like, semi-sexual pose on top of, like, one of the gravestones. And it's really interesting because then they go into how... One, the both bodies, because there were two bodies that were found. One was a woman, one was a man who'd had his mm-hmm. stuff cut off, and how they were both initially identified as women, but it was actually just this body had been attacked. It's like this news report goes into very, very great detail, especially if you watch it with the subtitles on. Yeah, and then even once they finish up talking about that stuff, everything else that they talk about is really gruesome as well. There's like a girl who was like locked up in her attic bedroom by her parents or something like that. Like it's all very dark shit that they're talking everything about. Everything goes not just like, oh man, there are these dead bodies and some body parts were cut off. It goes into explicit detail. Which feels logical because it's the beginning of this movie that is going to be very upsetting in a lot of ways. As we mentioned, it's not the most gruesome movie in terms of like the actual blood that you see on screen. But the descriptions yeah, give you kind of the idea of the gruesome things that are happening. But also there's a lot about this movie that is just based in being shocking. And the whole events are shocking. Everything that happens is shocking. And there's not a ton of plot. There really is, there is very a lot of just plot. extreme terror that the characters are feeling. The movie starts off after this news report and these shocking images. It has Sally, her brother Franklin, and three friends who are Jerry, Kirk, and Pam. And like I said, they're, they stop by this gravesite, check to see if anything has been vandalized. It seems like nothing has. And they're on their way to visit the homestead and the house actually they stayed in after a family member died just because they'd heard it been kind of beat up and all that. Yeah, so they stop along the way and they pick up this hitchhiker, right? So they get the confirmation that everything's fine at the graveyard. Grandpa is not disturbed. Everything's cool. Um, they're driving along and they see a hitchhiker and because this is 1974, <laughs> they're like, should we stop for him? And everybody's like, yeah! Don't uh, ever stop for a hitchhiker. Don't do it. I feel like horror movies had made us very anti-hitchhiker. Yeah. Which to a certain extent I understand, but also what is the chance that actually you're going to end up with someone who is a part of a cannibalistic murder family? Actually, I would say that it would typically go in the opposite direction where you have people like Ed Kemper, who is the co-ed killer who used to pick up hitchhikers and then murder them. Either way, not great. Don't pick up hitchhikers. Don't be a hitchhiker because either way you're probably going to get murdered. Yeah. Actually, I did read um, that... This movie actually had an impact on reducing crime and specifically reducing hitchhiking because nobody wanted to pick up hitchhikers and nobody wanted to hitchhike after they saw this movie because they pick up this hitchhiker and he is creepy. He's real creepy. They even say that he looks creepy and that he looks like a bit of a Dracula, which I think is a hilarious way of saying vampire. That's fine. Yeah, they never say the word vampire. They They just constantly call him a Dracula. Which is an almost like... But he's a weird dude. He talks about cow heads and murdering cows because they were passing by a slaughterhouse and could smell it. And so they're talking about how his grandfather used to be really good at killing the cows and hitting them overhead. Because his family's always been in meat. Yep. And then he talks about head cheese. Which is when you boil the whole thing, right? Yeah. And all the fat comes up and you make like kind of a cheesy thing out of the fat from the head of the cow. Upsetting. Also the original title of the movie. Yeah. Head cheese. Yeah, which would have been a solid name for this movie. And more accurate, which we'll get into later. 
And while it sounds kind of gross, also I kind of want to try head cheese now. Mm, maybe. I'd be open to it. So anyway, so they're, they're talking to this guy and they're like, this is weird. Franklin has a knife on him. He's like playing around with yeah, it. Yeah, like a fun switchblade type situation. Or like not a switchblade, but like a butterfly knife. Because who doesn't carry around a knife with you and just play 70s. with it for funsies? And so the hitchhiker is like, can I see your knife? And for some fucking reason, he gives it to him. Don't give the hitchhiker a knife. Don't do it. Especially if he seems like he could be a Dracula. To be fair, he did have his own knife as well. That's true, but he doesn't know about that yet. That's true. So he hands him the knife and the hitchhiker responds by cutting into his own hand. Lots of blood and like getting kind of a kick out of it. He's like into it and everybody else in the car is like, what? Fuck. And so, so he takes the knife away. And then the hitchhiker takes a photo of Franklin. Yeah. But and first he's like, he like a Polaroid. Yeah, he holds up this camera and is like pointing it all around the van that they're in because they're still driving. And then takes a photo of Franklin, tries to offer it him and sell it to him for $2. Which is $10 by today's money. So that's like not an insignificant amount of money. No, it's Franklin's not. like, I'm good, thank you. Like, no thanks. And then he like puts like. Like, what is that on? It's like... It's almost like gunpowder yeah. or like firecracker powder. Yeah, it's some kind of accelerant. So the hitchhiker puts the stuff on top of the photograph, sets it on fire, and it starts like exploding in the car and making all these noises and shooting sparks everywhere. And the entire group's like, what are you doing? <laughs> and so they're like, you need to get out. But before he gets out, he slashes Franklin in the arm with the knife. Yeah, he takes his own personal knife out Which of his sock. Which he has yes. <laughs> so he takes that out and he's like playing with it and slashes Franklin across the arm and they push him out and now this hitchhiker whose hand is all bloody from when he cut himself he like is slamming the side of the van and like drags his hand on it Mm -hmm. as the van is leaving yeah so they stop later and they pull over at a gas station Franklin's like this is creepy he marked the van do you think he's gonna come after us and everybody else is like don't be weird but this gas station they stop at doesn't actually have any gas at it. No. The gas isn't going to come until the next day. Maybe, maybe later the in the next afternoon. Day, maybe that afternoon. But in the meantime, he can offer them some delicious barbecue. So they're like, all right, whatever. We'll hang out here for a while. So they get some barbecue and they're like, you know what? We're planning on going up to this house right up the road. And he's like, are you sure you want to go up to that house? And they're like, yes, of course. And he says, you need to be careful because you can't just walk into somebody else's house. People around here don't take kindly to that. And they're like, no, no, no. It's our family house. It's cool. That this is called foreshadowing. There's a lot of foreshadowing. In case you didn't know what foreshadowing was, this is it. It's when you say something earlier on, and then later on something related happens. Correct. That's what foreshadowing is. Um, a lot of this movie is about the consequences of breaking and entering. Mm-hmm. So they're like, okay, cool, whatever, we're going to go. They go into the homestead, which is, like, really rotted out. It looks like garbage. The entire thing is torn apart. The wallpaper is peeling off. The ground is super messed up. Poor Franklin, who is in a wheelchair, cannot get up to where the rest of the people are. Yeah, everyone else in the van, because I think there are five or six of them total, they all go upstairs, except for Franklin, who's, like, barely making it through the bottom Because, like, they level. just leave him down there. Like, he's in a wheelchair. Well, to be fair, they were looking at the side of the van, and we're trying to clean it up. And Franklin's like, no, nah, I want to look at it a little bit longer. And they're like, cool, you can have the rag and you can clean it up True. when you're done then. Yeah. Because they wanted to clean it up and go inside and he wanted to spend extra time. So he kind of said, I want to keep doing this. And He's they also him. notably chewing on a sausage in this scene. It was the barbecue they got at the gas a station. Very chewy, unusually shaped sausage. What are you trying to imply right it's now, Maggie? It's a dick. It's a dick. He's eating someone's dick. <laughs> he might be, honestly. They never state it, but, well, that's a spoiler, but it's a dick. It's probably. So they're in the house, and two of these other 
people, honestly, everyone in this movie is super forgettable, but it's Kirk and Pam are the two who are like, we're going to go down to the watering hole. For the record, I remember Pam because her outfit is so on point. She's wearing this amazing 70s backless bodysuit with little these, red shorts. Yeah, little red corduroy shorts. And she looks fantastic. And I want that exact outfit. She does look really great. Meanwhile, Sally, who also looks great because she's wearing these white flares mm-hmm. with a lavender sleeveless sweater thing. Yeah. She looks good, but not as good as Pam. True. But so Kirk and Pam are like, we're going to go try to go to like this swimming hole. Where is it? And Franklin's like, it's down between these two sheds. They're like, cool, we're going to go. They go on down this path. And they're actually total assholes while they're doing this. Yeah, they're the like way. really mean. They're like, do you they're think somebody fun carried Franklin down here when he was little? And they're like, he was never little. Franklin's a little on the husky side. He is, but he's also in a wheelchair. It's not like he it's can like, go for runs. Exactly. Like, what do you want from him? He was. They're obviously referencing the fact that he has been in a wheelchair for a since he was time. very young. Anyway. They're just being jerks. They get down there and, like, the watering hole is pretty much dried up. So they're like, okay, we're going to keep going. And they, they see this house. And they're like, okay, cool. Well, no, what happens is they go down to the watering hole area and they hear something. And what they hear mm-hmm. is a generator. And they're right. like, oh, my God, we couldn't get gasoline at the gas station. But those people must have gasoline. Those people seem to have gas. Maybe I can leave my guitar with them as collateral. We'll and we'll come back. Blocks, we'll come back with some more gas. And they just are trying to get them so that way they can continue on their journey. Yeah. Here's what I will say. If you have already been assaulted by a creepy hitchhiker who talked about his family being into meat, and you come across a house and no one immediately answers, and when you look through the door, you see a red painted wall with a bunch of fucking animal skulls hanging on it. Maybe don't just enter the house. Leave. Just leave. Just get out of there. Don't be there. Don't be there anymore. They don't do that. No. So what they do is they go to the front door after seeing the generator. And they're like, oh, we need to see if we can ask this person. They knock on the door. No one comes. And so Kirk just decides to go in by himself. Yeah. And at this point, Pam is like, this is weird. I don't want to do it. So she goes and she sits on a swing that's kind of far away. So she doesn't see a lot of what happens next. So he walks further into this room that's the red room with the animal skulls. And all Mm -hmm. of a sudden, a big dude comes out swinging a fucking hammer and hits him in the head. And he, like, jolts around and, like, his legs twist. And then he hits him in the head again, and then he doesn't do that anymore. Surprise, surprise, this man with the hammer is Leatherface. Yeah, he and is. And it's funny, because I was kind of half-watching this movie last night, and all of a sudden I look over, I'm like, wait, where the fuck did he come from? He literally, I mean, I watched the movie and I paid attention, um, like, fairly closely during this scene, and he literally comes out of nowhere. I ended up backing up the movie ten minutes, because that's when I had started kind of getting a little distracted, because the movie moves very slowly, just to watch intently, and I was like, wait, no, he still comes out of nowhere. Yeah, he just appears. I thought that it was because I wasn't paying that much attention. No, it's just because that's literally the first time he comes out, and it was really cool and unexpected. I thought that was well done. Yeah. I mean, in terms of, like, his physical threatening nature in the movie, he's terrifying. He is, like, a dominating presence. Yeah. Kirk gets taken, and Pam is like, where the fuck is Kirk? And so she goes up to the door, and there's this weird silver sliding door that closes off the red door, or the red room with the skulls. Mm -hmm. And so Leatherface closes that after he kills Kirk. Yeah. And so she goes on up, and she's, like, looking around. She, like, tries to go in. This is a kind of iconic scene. She's, like, in the house. She's looking for Kirk. She's like, Kirk, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? So Leatherface kind of comes out of nowhere and grabs her. Yeah. And... In a very iconic and also terrifying, like, I could almost feel it scene, he brings her into a room that Kirk is clearly laying dead on a table, and he sticks her up on a hook. Yeah. Hanging from the ceiling. Yeah, like meat. Like, as if she is, like, a dead cow or something like that. Yeah. And it's clearly pierced through her back, and she can't get herself off. She's trying to, like, use her hands to pull herself up off of it, but she can't. 
that I, f- I could feel that hook in my back and like, yeah, Ugh. yeah, that was fucked up. So, but while she's in there, so she's like looking around and there's like, before she gets caught, there's all of these, like there's furniture made out of human bones. Like this is a house of horrors. Yeah, there's a lot of animal bones, a lot of human bones, just, like, lots of bones and feathers. There's a whole room full of, like, chicken feathers, because there's a chicken in a cage. Yeah, it's, like, very upsetting. It's In terms of a house you could accidentally end up in, it's fucked up. So whenever I think of this style of horror, I think of the episode of The Office, where it's, like, the horror of the unsettling, where it's, like, yeah. a bunch of close-ups of weird, unsettling things <laughs> that aren't necessarily not normal, but together feel really just like I don't like this. Yeah. And this movie does that a lot. So did there this is like scene the where feathers horn through a skull. Which is upsetting really in any context. It is, but they're like two bones that are just put into each other. It's True. not that upsetting. Yeah. There's also like a weird close-up of spiders where like the cam is very shaky yeah. and there's this weird like but they're like daddy crackly noise. Yeah. They're not even like dangerous spiders. Exactly. And so there's just a lot of very unsettling imagery and it's clear this movie is meant to just make you feel not great. Yeah. So back at the at the house, um, Jerry, who is Sally's boyfriend is like, where's everyone? Yeah, he's real upset that they are gone. And so he talks to Franklin. Franklin's like, they went off to go to this, like, It's between the two sheds. It's between the two sheds. Go follow. Jerry's like, okay, cool. He follows. He finds the house. He goes inside, and he finds Pam's body in the freezer. Yeah, he hears, like, a bunch of noises. And And it's her fighting to get out of the freezer, because she's still alive. Yeah, but just stuck in a freezer. And so he finds her, and then Leatherface comes out. Leatherface comes out, grabs him, kills him. Um, and so now it's just Sally and Franklin back at the Also, just van. a quick note, this is three scenes in a row of a random teenager entering a house that is not theirs and then being murdered for doing so. Yeah, they don't waste a lot of time killing the first like, several people. This movie so far is, oh, look, they're on a road trip. They stop at a gas station. They go to a house. Three of them enter a house that is not theirs that's down the road. Each of them get murdered. Yeah. Or close to murdered in the case of Pam, where she was stuck in a freezer while still alive. Right. You don't actually technically see her die, but, like, it's pretty she clear she's pretty dead. much dies. Um, so then Franklin and Sally are hanging around at the uh, the van, and it's started to get dark. And they're yeah. like, this is a problem. Franklin's like, we need to just get out of here. Like, we just have to go. Which, honestly, yes, that's correct. Um, so he finally convinces Sally to get back in the van, and then they realize that they don't have the keys. Yeah. Presumably, Jerry, who was driving, has the keys, but Jerry's dead. So Sally's they like... They don't know that, though. They don't know that, but he's definitely gone. He's definitely gone. So, so Sally really wants Franklin to give her the flashlight, and he straight up refuses. He's like, nah, I'm not fucking doing that. Right. And after a while of them fighting back and forth, he's like, okay, I'll go with you, but I need to hold him to the flashlight. And she's like, I'm just gonna go without you. And she's like, no, I'll go. And she's like, I can't push you all the way. He's like, no, it'll be okay. So she's pushing him through this field, and she's trying to push him up this hill. When all of a sudden, Leatherface comes out of nowhere with a fucking chainsaw and chainsaws Franklin to death. I'm pretty sure this is the first chainsaw. This is the first chainsaw death. Which, mind you, is a solid 40 to 50 minutes into this movie. I would say a better name for this movie would have been the Texas Mallet Massacre. Yeah, a lot more people die by hammer than by chainsaw. Yeah. I mean... Well, Franklin sure dies by chainsaw. Yeah, it looks like sticks straight <laughs> they, like, into his stomach. They, like, cut that guy in half. They, like, fucking got him. You don't see it. 
This, you don't, you just see, like, from behind, like, the chainsaw going to what you can assume is his stomach and him yeah. getting gutted. But you don't see any blood or anything like that around this. But and Sally takes off. She does. She's like, I'm getting the fuck out of here. Which, good. But she also screams like a maniac the entire time. Which, the like, entire time. in a cornfield, if a guy is chasing you through a cornfield, don't scream. Not just that. But he is chasing her while holding a chainsaw. Chances are he can't hear her if she's not screaming because he is hearing a lot of chainsaw noise. But the reason that she's screaming is because she knows there's a house nearby. And bless her poor, stupid soul, she thinks that the people in the house are going to help her. She runs, 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 runs. So when she gets to the house, she doesn't find anybody who can help her. But what she does find is the fucking skeletal remains of two old people inside of the house. And so she's like, fuck this shit, I'm out of here. She jumps out of the window and then runs to a gas station. So she makes it all the way back to the gas station and the guy's like, listen, help, you know, like, I'll help you, it's okay. And she's like, help me, help me. Like, there's a guy out there and he's like, there's nobody out there now. It's totally fine. It's okay. Come in and sit down. And so she comes in, she sits down. And he's like, don't worry, I'll go get something, I'll drive you out to the police. So he goes out to the car and he's like, he leaves the door open, which one is very unsettling. He's like, oh God, is... Leatherface is going to come in through it. But no, he grabs the car. He comes, he pulls it around. Then he gets out of the car and he walks in. He's holding a rope and a burlap sack. And also when she's looking around, she notices that the area that was used to cook the barbecue is full of human remains. So I was looking at that and like nothing looks explicitly human. Like it doesn't look very meaty, but it doesn't look explicitly human. She figures it out I from she whatever does. she looks at. I don't think they had a huge budget for special effects, but... Because it kind of just looked like me a little bit. I think, yeah. But she seems like she has figured out what the problem is. Yeah, so he comes in with this burlap sack and this rope. He's like, oh, no, don't worry. We're not going to hurt you. That's a fucking lie. Anytime someone says I'm not going to hurt you, they probably want to hurt you. Yeah. So instead of helping her, what the gas guy does is shoves her into his truck and drives off with her. And they go back to the house that she was at before with the dead people in it. Well, he also kind of forces her into the sack and shit first. Well, and I mean, ties yes. her up. Yeah. She's not a voluntary participant in this situation. She doesn't have a lot of control over where she no, is. No, not in the slightest. So they go back to the house together, and who should be there but the hitchhiker? Yay! Yeah! A friend! It's revealed in this scene that the hitchhiker who cut his hand open and marked the van, the person who is the cook who drove her to the house and Leatherface are all family members. Yeah. And the cook is the dad and Leatherface and the hitchhiker are the sons. Yes. And it's a weird dynamic. Um, I mean, we actually meet the hitchhiker again when the dad is driving her to the house because he almost runs him over. And he's like, who's this fucking asshole? Yeah. And he's like, oh, man, this guy almost got us in trouble because he thought the the kid who's the hitchhiker. Because none of these family members actually have real names. In this no. Entire yeah. You don't really ever meet anyone by name. And he's talking about how, like, he brought this family here and he was so excited. The hitchhiker is saying this. And the cook is like, you're dumb. You almost got us in trouble. Get in the goddamn car. Yeah. And so the hitchhiker gets into the back of the truck and is riding with them. So then back at the house, he's kind of lecturing um, the hitchhiker and Leatherface. And like, how could you bring all these people here? And Leatherface is like, they're dead. I mean, he doesn't say it. Leatherface doesn't speak. Leatherface doesn't speak in this movie. But Leatherface is like, "Uh and the hitchhiker's like, well, they're all dead now. And then the cook is like, in a genuinely funny thing, is like, well, yeah, but like, Look at what he did to the door because he had to chainsaw through a door to try to get to, 
to try to get to Sally. Because she locked the door when she went into the house earlier. Which is smart. And he couldn't get in, so he just chainsawed through it. Right. It's also kind of implied that Leatherface isn't, like, the smartest. No, um... Uh, Gunner, He's kind of like a big brute type guy. Yeah, Gunnar Hansen actually like intentionally tried to like study people with developmental disabilities in order to make him like a respectful and not cliche character who is supposed to have some sort of learning. like some sort of disability that like his family members are taking advantage of. It's clear that they are trying to force him into this role. Yeah, and that kind of because the cook doesn't want to kill people. No, he no longer gets a thrill. It seems like he used to kill people, but he no longer can do it. Right. So he has to get his sons to do it, and one of them, like, really fucking enjoys it, Mm -hmm. and the other one only does it because he's manipulated into doing so, and the one that is manipulated into doing so is Leatherface. Right. So they have this weird fucking dinner, which is... It's really where they try and feed... Sally, mm-hmm. some food that is clearly just human food and probably her friends, honestly. Yeah. And during this scene, Leatherface has like a new face on. And like this big, like floppy black hair and, and all like, this makeup. He's wearing makeup. So it's like almost, which we'll kind of touch on later, it's almost like a mirror image of like a normal nuclear family where there's like the dad, the mom, the son, and the grandpa who is grandpa, who is a creepy old fucking corpse looking yeah. motherfucker. And so we find out when Sally had run to the attic earlier and found like the skeletal remains of people, one of them wasn't actually dead. He just was seemingly very dead. Yeah, grandpa's in rough shape. Yeah, and this kind of relates back really well to when Franklin called him a family of Draculas. Yeah, because the way that we see that Grandpa kind of regains some of his strength is that Leatherface cuts open her finger. Her hand, yeah. And has the grandfather suck on her finger the blood until he's, like, rejuvenated and, like, as a real person, though he is also very clearly just a person wearing a mask. Yeah. Um, so they, we learn a little bit of background on Grandpa, which is that he was a great killer in the old slaughterhouse. Um, but they rep- they changed the method in which they killed the cattle. Yeah, so this from is being a mallet to being an air gun. This is what I think a lot about when I think about American gods, because it's actually a similar plot device that's used, where they talk about how one of these old gods used to be someone who killed cattle, but they changed just this gun and no longer have that violence. Right. And something that the hitchhiker actually mentions when they first pick him up is that it's a better kill if you use the mallet, and that the air guns are putting people out of jobs, which is the implication of what happened is that Grandpa lost his job as a slaughterer at the slaughterhouse, and so, so now they're living this instead. fucked up life off, off of the land, for lack of a better term. Yeah. So he tries to kill her, but he's not strong enough, because he's still super old, and so she gets away. Oh my god, it's actually a really funny scene, because they're talking about who should kill her, and they're like, let's let Grandpa do it. So they're holding her down so her head is exposed, and they keep putting the mallet in his hand, he keeps trying to hit her over the head, the hammer keeps falling out of his hand, and this happens like ten times. Yeah, he has a very hard time with it. He has a exactly one okay hit and it's clear that he used to be really good at doing this now he's just horrible but they're all getting a kick out of grandpa doing it again but she gets away and she ends (laughs) up getting away because they're spending too much time and she's like bleeding from the head because he does actually cut her open at some point in time yeah and she for the second time in this movie bursts out of a glass window to run away and so she's running down the street and the hitchhiker is like right behind her like he's on her and then we see this semi truck pull up next to her she runs out in front of the semi truck and across the way and the hitchhiker is following her and then 
turns and looks, and all of a sudden he's right in front of the semi truck, and she ran past the front of it, and he gets run the fuck over. Yes, and then God bless him, the truck driver gets out, or she like he like opens the door, and she like tries to climb in, and then Leatherface tries to attack the driver, and so she yeah, because he the comes out, and he has the chainsaw, and Leatherface attacks the door of the semi truck after she'd gotten in, and so they both get out the other door that he's not attacking, and the semi truck driver runs one way and she runs the other way. The semi-truck driver does get a good hit in with a wrench before he goes, but he's still, like, not hanging around. He's like, I don't know what this is. Don't want it. Gonna get out of here. Understandably so. But then what does happen, very conveniently, is a pickup truck passes by and she manages to get in the back of the pickup truck and as great of a killer as Leatherface is, he's recently cut himself by accident with his chainsaw and he cannot keep up with the pickup truck and Sally gets away. And then the movie just is over. Yeah, there's not um there's no info on what happens to Sally. It's not super plot heavy as we discussed. There's really very very little to no plot in this entire movie. Yeah. Um yeah, but I mean it's it's uh it certainly is still important in the world of horror despite the fact that it doesn't have um some of the great like plot elements that we see in some other movies. Um and I would we, say that it's a sign of the times, but at the same time, like I mentioned earlier, I'm pretty sure The Exorcist came out the same year. Yeah, close, if not the same year. And that's a movie that has a solid enough plot. Yeah. We watched The Omen, which came out... Before this. That was the 60s, right? Yeah. And, I mean, even thinking about, like, Rosemary's Baby has a great plot, it's not because of the times that it doesn't have a good plot. It's just... It's also a totally different subgenre than any of those. This is the proto-slasher. It is. Like, we talked about Psycho and how Psycho had an effect on the genre. I just wanted to say that it's not because of the times that it doesn't have a plot. It's because of the genre and the stylistic choices of the movie makers. Yes. It's not that I don't like old movies. It's that I don't like this old movie. True. Um, So when I mention Psycho, it actually does have a bit of a connection to... Texas Chainsaw Massacre in that um, as we saw with like Amityville Horror Texas Chainsaw Massacre is supposedly based off of a true story although it it this toes that line a lot worse inspired by a true story in the sense that it it's is inspired not. by the writer staring at a rack of chainsaws and being like I could make a movie about chainsaws yeah Basically, that was kind of the true event. It does also draw from a couple different things. It draws from the story of Ed Gein. Um, Which is the same story that Psycho partially draws from. Yeah. As well as Signs of the Lambs yeah. and a variety of others. Ed Gein is kind of... Um, Very inspirational in the horror genre. He is. So Ed Gein is interesting because he's not a, a, a typical serial killer. I think a lot of people lump him in with serial killers, but he really only killed probably two people. What Ed Gein was was a very sick man... Um, who didn't have a solid understanding of the world around him, who um, would dig up bodies and remove the skin and use it for lampshades and nipple belts and um, curtain poles and a woman's suit, which he was making for himself. And it's so interesting because this is clearly where things like the um, American Horror Story Asylum gets their villain from... Scary Face? Is that his name? It was <laughs> Bloody like, Face. Bloody Face. Yeah. Not much better than Scary Face. Not much better. Um, but the, the interesting thing about Egin is that a lot of the horror comes from the police showing up to his home, walking in and realizing that just, like, shit was covered with human skin. 
Like, there were chairs and lampshades. Like, so much of his furniture was made out of human skin that I think it sort of stuck in the, like, general consciousness because of how horrifying that image is, even if he's not, like, the most notorious serial killer that's ever existed, you know? Definitely a strong influence in terms of, like, what the most fucked up crime scene you could walk into would be, and then I think people go from there into, like, well, what's the most fucked up murderer that you could make out of that? And I think that's Leatherface. So when people are trying to think of, oh, God, what can I make this really scary? They think of the person in real life who is pretty messed up some of the stuff that he did, and take from that, which is why so many stories are inspired by Ed Gein. Another source of inspiration for this movie was the Sawney Bean clan, which is honestly probably made up. So it's a 16th century family um, in Scotland who were supposedly like incestuous cannibals, right? So what they would do is they lived in this cave and it was Sawney Bean and his wife and they had all these kids and then they made grandkids one way or another. Solid. Yeah. And then they would, like, kill and eat people as they passed by. Now, honestly, the Sonny Bean clan is probably a legend and not, like, a real thing that happened. But still, it's it's a family of murderers who, you know, lived out in the middle of nowhere and, like, dined on people as they went by. So that's obviously a connection as well. And I honestly think that, like, this sort of based-on-true-events type of thing opened the door for stuff like the Amityville Horror to add that kind of level of fear to their story that wouldn't necessarily be there if you thought it was entirely fictionalized. That makes sense. They do lean super hard on it, though. Like, the posters were like, the story is real. This is the only movie that's just as real. Which is like, the story's not real. He he just looked at chainsaws. <laughs> inspired by true events. It was inspired by a true event in the fact that there actually are chainsaws in stores. There are, in fact, chainsaws. And you could, in fact, kill someone with one. I do think it's interesting because the story about the Scottish family just talked about that inspired this movie. And then this movie clearly, to a certain extent, kind of created that trope of the, like, murder redneck zombie family that you see, for example, in Cabin in the Woods. Or Hills Have Eyes. Um, Even before that, we got, you know, Hills Have Eyes, House of a Thousand Corpses. There's an X-Files episode called Home where there's, like, an incestuous murder family. Like, it's something that kind of became a staple of the genre. And I think this movie had a very big influence on that. Because, like, what's more fucked up than that? But it's also kind of a source of classism in a sense, where it's like, oh, man, these people living out in the boonies, um, they must all be eating people and, like... Uh, be an incestuous family. Well, that's actually something that kind of has come up in a lot of um, sort of academic criticism or, you know, uh, academic papers about movies like um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is that in the 1970s, what you had was people being increasingly disillusioned with the government. People were, you know, losing jobs. The economy wasn't as great as it had been. Um, There was the oil crisis, which you even see kind of reflected in the fact that the kids can't gas up their car and they, you know, they can't keep going. So they're literally stuck there by those circumstances. Um, So it's almost like as all of these social constructs are falling away, there's this sort of fear that what we're going to be left with is people who don't have the jobs that they used to have, who don't have an outlet for the things that they used to be able to do and are going to turn to this sort of darker version. And so sort of presenting the Sawyer family, um, as, like, a family unit, which is, like, the the basic concept of, like, 50s and 60s American, you know, lifestyle is this family unit. They're a dark version of the family unit that uses their, you know, loyalty to each other and their desperation to keep themselves afloat in this really dark and fucked up way. Um, 
like you even see those family that family unit around the table kind of mimicking a more nuclear family type of situation. Um, and there's actually a quote from an essay by Naomi Merritt. It's called Cannibalistic Capitalism and Other American Delicacies, A Battalion Taste of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, that I really liked in the quote is, we could argue that without jobs, the family of slaughterhouse workers are cast adrift. In their redundancy, they are unable to be incorporated within the capitalist system, which structures American society. Their uncertain position is threatening. However, the family's violent behaviors and motivations are hardly ambiguous, unstructured, or formless. They kill to make a living. Their values and organization reflect or correspond to established and interdependent American institutions, the nuclear family, the worker, the capitalist system. But their embodiment of these social units is perverted and transgressive. This suggests that a more paradoxical dynamic is in play which is sort of like i mean just putting all of those people around a table and having them have a normal meal after they've done all of this fucked up stuff to these people and like you know what's in the food that they're eating it feels more upsetting that then they're trying to pretend to be normal it yeah, makes it's that unit something they, messed up they're normalizing something that is absolutely terrifying and like it says because the fact that this is normal for them that makes it scarier than if they knew that this is not like a normal thing that happens. Right. But they're just treating it like this is a normal family dinner. And that makes it even worse somehow. It's like really how you allow people to remove themselves from the brutality of what they're doing because they're just trying to get by. You know, there are these people who have been disenfranchised by um, the technological advances in the slaughterhouse that have made them redundant. So. And they're desperate. If I hear you correctly. It sounds like you're saying there is no ethical consumption under capitalism. <laughs> I mean, I guess so. Yeah, ultimately, it's that you are either forced into the situation in a in a strictly capitalist society where you either are able to be productive or you're sort of a, a nothing that everyone is afraid of. I'll take it. Also, Toby Hooper has said that it's about meat as well, like the meat process, like the process of making meat. Yeah, I can see that. Which, I mean, it sort of is when you think about it if it's, like, basically everything that happens to the main characters with the exception of all of the chainsaw stuff is, like, what happens to farm animals when they get killed yeah, for I their mean, meat. Yeah, I mean, it's literally people being treated as if they are slabs of meat, if they are cows. For example, being hit over the head and killed in the same way that cattle is killed, being hung up on the meat hooks. Yeah, and it's horrifying when it happens to us. I mean, people use, like, Texas longhorn skulls as decoration their homes all the time. Yeah. This family using a human skull, like, is it that different? Right. It's definitely a statement. Apparently Guillermo del Toro became a vegetarian for a while after he saw this movie. I can understand why. Yeah. I mostly eat fish. I was pretty much down to eat barbecue after it, but I'm just always down to eat barbecue. Not because of it, just like in general. You weren't inspired by that sausage? That I was uh, like, I want to eat that possible dick sausage. Was eating, yeah. Chomp chomp, motherfuckers. Um, yeah, so... There's that. I mean, there's also one of the things that I found really interesting, um, and we kind of talked about this before we started recording, is um, since Gein is also a, a source of inspiration for Psycho, it's interesting to look at how the horror genre has developed from Psycho to Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is a, I mean, basically taking different parts of the same story. Whereas in Psycho, we see um, the aspect of Gein where he preserved his mother's corpse and had a weird, creepy relationship with his mother, and there was the psychological aspect. As opposed to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, where we just get to see in gruesome detail all the physical things he did to his victims. Yeah, the grave robbing, the skinning, the creepy shit. Um, it's a totally different look. And also, I think it's 
it's reflected completely differently. Psycho is, at its core, a psychological thriller where you we, really get inside his brain. And we talked about the difference between a psychological thriller and a horror and how they have a lot of overlap, but at the same time the explicitness I think to a certain extent is what defines the difference between the two. Yeah. And you can have the story where you kind of see the mystery side of it and trying to figure out what's going on, or you can just see like, oh, let's rip someone open with a chainsaw. Yeah. And they can be the same story, but if it's presented differently, one's a thriller while one's a horror. Exactly. And it's very interesting. And I think we also talked a lot about when we did Psycho about how it was sort of like the granddaddy, whereas this is more of the daddy of the slasher genre. Daddy Leatherface. Granddaddy Norman Bates. This is a family I don't hate. Maybe I it's should. a confusing family, for sure. There's a lot of confusing things. So, where we saw, again, something that was a little more in keeping with the 1960s, even though people still thought it was shocking in the 1960s, by the time Texas Chainsaw Massacre comes around, it's really blowing the doors open and allowing the true slasher nature to kind of come to the forefront, which is one of the things that's most important about the slasher is tons of violence. And, like, yeah, like, one person gets killed in Psycho, but, like, you need a high body count to be a slasher movie. And this movie does have five people who are murdered. Yeah. Well, one's technically killed accidentally, if you consider the fact that the hitchhiker is run over by the semi-truck. True. Accidentally, and then the four out of the five teenagers are killed. Yeah. But, I mean, even Sally has a lot of blood all over her. And she's the ultimate final girl. She is. She's, like, the, one of the earliest final girls in a slasher film. And also, with Leatherface, like we talked about, we see the beginnings of the slasher villain. He is invulnerable to harm for the most part. Like, he gets hurt, but he shakes it off. I don't think he gets hurt very seriously ever. He gets, like, hit in the head with a wrench at some point. We don't know how hard that actually was. And also, he's, like, a 6'5", 300-pound guy. Like, barely being hit with a wrench isn't going to do that much. And then he accidentally, like, cuts himself a little bit in the leg. But it's not that bad. I would say, if anything, in this movie, he seems a little more... He seems, like, tougher than the average person, but he doesn't seem invulnerable. But I could see how this then turns into the Michael Myers. Right, it's like a jumping-off point. You also have the sheer physical size of him, which is something that we see again with, like, Michael Myers or Jason, where they're just, like, big dudes. Um, And I definitely think that, like, Michael Myers, Jason, those are more direct lineages. I definitely see in Freddy kind of the beginning of more of, like, an ironic, um, jokey character, which you see later on in Chucky or Scream. Which I think that comes more from the fact that people got tired of these tall, stoic figures that didn't talk. Right. And they saw a lot of that, because obviously the big ones you think of are going to be Leatherface, Michael Myers, and Jason. But there were other movies that had these similar figures that just weren't as popular. And so you get a lot of these tall, silent, indestructible slasher villains who just don't talk. And it's like, okay, how can we change this up? And it's like, oh, now we have this invulnerable demon guy. But he has a little bit more personality. We're going to add a little bit of humor to him as well. You can see his face, you know? Yeah, and but you still can't. Even in seeing his face and in knowing that he's less intimidating physically, he still is terrifying. Yeah. That is what makes him scary in a new way. Right. As opposed to, like, Leatherface, where you just kind of saw a lot of Leatherfaces over the years. Yeah, that's true. But at this point in time, he's still fresh. And then you see even, like, something that really stood out to me was, like, this came out four years before Halloween, right? You see Leatherface, you see him next to Michael Myers in his, like, whitewashed um, Captain Kirk mask. 
they look really similar. They look like, very similar. He kind of similar. looks like, instead of a Halloween mask, he looks like he may have put a person's face over Except him. Leatherface always wears an apron because he wants to make sure his clothing is pristine. Because he's wearing a fucking suit in every scene. Why is he always wearing a suit? Where is he going after this? He just wants to be presentable. He's a business casual serial killer. Who isn't? <laughs> I feel like if I was going to be a serial killer, I'd make sure to dress my best. That way, the last thing you see before you die is someone stylish. Exactly. So we talked about, obviously, Blair Witch Project in our last episode. And we talked a lot about the sort of enforced method acting that went into that, right? By accident, there was kind of a lot of that with Texas Chainsaw Massacre. (laughs) Tell me more, Maggie. So uh, they didn't have a huge budget for this, which meant that they didn't have a lot of special effects money. Um, So when you see uh, Pam in the harness or in the in the meat hook there was a harness on her that like went apparently in her like inner thighs and hurt like a motherfucker so her screams are real ow like she was actually in a lot of pain um also during the dinner scene that took i think they said 27 hours to finish filming and they had they were out in texas in extreme heat they had real food on that table and they had spotlights or like you know filming lights over them so all of that food was rotting in front of them. That's it smelled really fucking gross. Horrible. It was unbelievably hot. Everyone was sweating to the point that they were like borderline delirious. Um, Gunnar Hansen, who was the guy who played Leatherface, said that there, it, after um, there's a moment where when I think um, the cook says something about like he tells him to kill her, where for a second he like wanted to kill her. Oh, wow. And had to, like, walk himself back and be like, this is a movie. This is not real. But there is a scene, there is a part where um, when he pricks her finger, where he cuts her finger open so the grandfather can drink out of it, um, there was supposed to be, like, a squib, you know, like a a blood bag and a fake knife that was going to cut her finger open for pretend, and then he would drink the pretend blood. It didn't work. But they'd been shooting for 27 hours, and he just fucking cut her finger open. Oh, my God. And the grandpa character drank her actual blood. That's so gross. It was the 70s. Like, AIDS wasn't a thing yet, so I guess people, like, didn't have a problem with it's that. It's still, still gross, like, though. You should still care, but... I still don't want to drink another human being's blood. No. My little cat, Anya, ran away and hid for an hour or two after that scene because oh. the screaming... She hated it. Yeah. The screaming was real at that point because a man just cut her fucking finger open. And again, it goes back to that whole, like, horror of the unsettling where it zooms in really close, like, to her really green eyes at times. And it's... The cinematography is actually really impressive in this movie. It is. It really gets the point across. And also the music is really impressive as well. Oh, it's super intense. Well, it kind of... It kind of alternates between being really intense and well done, like dissonant stuff, and weird. It's like here's like a bang and some trumpet and bang, and like it goes between being really good and really bad music, and it's kind of funny the disparity between the two. Yeah, I honestly think that this is one of the first movies that was scary, mostly because of how scared the characters were. Like we don't really know anything about Sally other than that she has a brother and that her father, her grandfather, died at some point in time. Like we know almost nothing about any these people we only know franklin's personality because he's so annoying the whole time and no one else in the movie has a personality no one does it's like everyone is either personalityless, evil or annoying i think kirk or is a combination like of the, the three. badass because franklin makes a comment about the hitchhiker not wanting to come back because he thinks kirk will kill him so i think that maybe he's supposed to be the badass but again that's just like another character saying it it's not like a real like we never see it yeah so 
Yeah, so I mean, like, you don't need to know a lot about these characters. Because... Like, it doesn't matter. They're not the point. Leatherface is the point. I wonder if, in a way, it's kind of like the Bella Swan thing, where they're so... They're such blank slates that you can kind of see yourself in there to a certain extent. Like, oh, I've been out in, like, the wilderness with my friends. Like, it would suck if this happened to me. Yeah, like, oh, I've been in a place where I need gas, and if I knocked on a neighbor's door, am I gonna get murdered? Right. Yeah, I can see that. Like, it sort of makes it more applicable to everyone, and it's that sort of interchangeable, like, you know, kids out camping, or, you know, people at a sleepover, or whatever rando high school students are, like, in danger in the next slasher, you know? Um, Also, another thing that's kind of introduced is the idea of humor in a horror movie. There's some kind of funny moments between, like, Leatherface pretending to be, like, the suburban housewife to everyone else's, <laughs> that like, is really standard, weird, yeah. Like, or um, the scene where he's like, oh, they got away, but, like, don't worry, we got them. Like, they're dead now. And he's like, yeah, well, you still messed up the door. Like, what a random thing to be upset about. Like, there's these little, like, borderline funny moments that are a little self-aware enough that they sort of open the door for things like Cabin in the Woods to come along later and to come out later and be like poking fun at like the murder family out in the woods and like how weird is it to like pretend to be normal even though you're obviously like a bunch of crazy killers you know yeah no that makes a lot of sense and I do think some of the things were so ridiculous like for example again the cook getting really mad about this cut up door (laughs) in a way them overreacting to that but not reacting to the fact they're literally murdering like attempting to murder five people have successfully murdered four and like not upset about killing people upset that this door is kind of slashed a little bit yeah that it's juxtaposition like, kind of this, like, where is very are your interesting. priorities? Like, yeah. What is happening here? Which I think is really interesting. I mean, I think that that's kind of one of the first movies that sort of pokes fun at how weird that situation would be. Like, we don't see that in The Omen or um, Exorcist or anything like that. It's, true. it's all a lot more serious. Yeah. So, I mean, overall, I definitely agree that it doesn't have a strong plot. I don't think that's really the point. I think that it sort of opened the door for the more, you know, gruesome slasher to go from there. I do think this movie would have been a lot better if they hadn't tried so hard to get a PG rating. Yeah, I would have liked to see some blood. Yeah. So this movie was made before the PG-13 rating existed. So either it was PG, which meant a lot of people could see it, or it was R, which meant a lot less people could see it. It tried to go for the PG rating, it failed, it got the R rating, but it was like an R rating with PG content. Yeah. Which is annoying because it's like, violence. But if I'm going to sit and watch a movie that doesn't have a plot and it's just supposed to be about violence, but without any of the violence. I want to see blood spray, man. Come on, give me what I want. I just need a plot or I need some violence. Like one or the other. And this had neither. Yeah, I'll take both. Ideally, but like, I can't that's have what, neither. That's what <laughs> made Saw great is it had some violence, not as much as I expected, but it had a good amount of violence. Yeah, and it had a really cool plot. I will say that I think that this continues the trend of movies that we've seen that we definitely thought were going to be more gruesome going in, and we're like, that wasn't that bad. I think <laughs> that people just talk up movies a lot more. I also think that in 1974, this was probably a lot more shocking than it is now. That's probably true. Also, I really do want to see the late 90s, early 2000s remakes slash sequel starring Renee Zellweger post Jerry Maguire and Matthew McConaughey. Weird. As a character named Vilmer Slaughter. Yeah. He's supposed to be like the hitchhiker slash leatherface combo thing, apparently. Coincidentally, I'm going to be changing my legal name to Wilmer Slaughter. I feel like you should be Wilma Slaughter. Wilma Slaughter. Because it's like, Will Ma Slaughter? (laughs) I have to wait till I have children. And then they'll be like, we won't ever know. 
No, maybe. It's, it's a question that we better do. We'll never own. find the answer to. <laughs> this was a lot of fun. It was. This was a good one. It was an interesting one, even if it wasn't necessarily my personal taste, which I know is uh, tantamount to, to heresy, basically, um, when it comes to horror movie fans. But um, I don't know. I like a little more plot in my horror movies. I do too. Apparently, the Rob Zombie remake is a little more plot-heavy, is what okay. I've been told. I believe that. But I haven't seen it, so I can't confirm. So, um, But in the meantime, we're actually not going to do a Rob Zombie movie next. We have another one in mind. Maddie, do you want to share with us what that one will yeah, be? Yeah, so we're going to go hang out with our friend Jason Blum. Not our real fl- friend, but we wish that he was. He's a friend in my heart, which is what really matters. <laughs> but we're going to go hang out with our bud, Jason Blum and watch The Purge. Yeah, I am so excited because I've never seen The Purge movies, but I know they're a big thing right now. They're really big. I'm not 100% sure to what extent they qualify as horror versus thriller, but I think that's a bigger conversation to have. I also think it's a narrow line. It is a very, very thin line. I think there's a lot of overlap. And there have been a lot of very interesting sequels to The Purge yeah. based on modern events, which I'm very curious about. Yeah. And there's a Halloween Horror Nights maze that's Purge-themed. Well, it's Blumhouse-themed and involves The Purge. And if I'm going to go through a spooky-ass maze about your movie, I'm going to consider it a horror for now, at least. Absolutely. I think enough people get killed that it can be counted as a horror. Then couldn't you call, like, Coco a horror movie? Because there's a lot of dead people in that. That obviously does not count. <laughs> Don't you start that shit with me, Madeline. <laughs> what is the definition of a horror movie? Because it's with a lot of dead people. There are a lot Scary. of dead people. Murder. I don't know. There's a big glow-in-the-dark panther. Actually, I, I wanted to be best friends with that Coco panther. Yet. Oh my god, you need to see Coco. There's a giant glow-in-the-dark panther, and is I want to be gonna, best friends with it. it's going to make me cry. No. All right, well, I'll check it out. We're not doing Coco next week, though, because that's not a horror movie. <laughs> I mean, there are a lot of people who die. We're doing die. the purge. We're doing the purge. <laughs> Don't okay. you even try. We're doing the purge. <laughs> so next week, it will be a cocoa purge combo. No, it will be only the purge. Don't listen to her. She's not in charge. <laughs> She's semi-in charge. She's equally in charge. But it won't be cocoa. Next week, we'll watch the purge. People so will die. People, Hopefully not me. People will die in the movie. Probably not in real life. I mean, people will die in real life because that's, like, how life works. But, like, we won't be related to the people dying. Well, we might be related to the people dying. I hope not. We won't have killed the people who are dying. I if feel like you're dies. making a lot of excuses that say We're you're not, not killing kill people. anyone, okay? We're just going to watch the I don't the know. Purge. From what I hear, the rules are lifted for 24 hours and you can do whatever you want. <laughs> You we guys, will see. If you try to watch Coco, I might kill you. <laughs> Friends, it's been a very long week. It's been a long night and a long week. And we thank you for being here with us because we love you. And we're happy that we have you. And uh, we look forward to talking with you next week. But in the meantime, please be good. Get home safe. And text us when you get there. We love you and we'll see you soon. Mwah! <laughs>